This is Jenga, if you were wondering. You ever played the game Jenga? Yeah? Well, it's a good game, but more importantly, it's a great representation of the church. I don't know, I'm going to sit this. Uh, we're in the middle of a study on, on church, and so, so, so far we have learned some, some really cool things, some really, uh, I think, unique things. First of all, we, we've learned that, that church is a group of believers, that a church really, in order to be a church, needs a group of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He gave His life dying on a cross to save people from their sins and rose again on the third day. And so a, a church really is a group of people who gather together that believe that and have given their life to Jesus. We've also seen in the midst of all this that when believers come together in the context of a local church, then God's presence is most uniquely present. God manifests Himself more when a group of believers in a local church come together than He does in any other place at any other time. And that's why we believe that God is here with us this morning. We also saw last week that, that out of this, we should come to church not for what we can get out of it, but for what we can put into it, what we can give to others. Last week we talked about this, this really uh, contrary to our culture type thing that, that when we come to church, we shouldn't be self-seeking, but we should be seeking the good of others. Saying, how can I encourage and how can I comfort and how can I uplift and how can I strengthen the people who choose to come together with me and gather in the presence of God. And today we're going to continue that study of church. And, and one thing that you need to know is that Paul refers to the church as a building. You can kind of see where the jing is going to come in in a second, right? Paul refers to the church as a building. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9-11, through 11, we read these words, You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Now, I'll pause right there just for a second. When he says that someone else is building on it, what he's referring to is other Christian leaders are coming and they're trying to help the church be all that God has intended it to be. Picking it back up in verse 10. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the first question is, well, how is the church like a building? What type of building is the church like? What is Paul saying when he says the building is like a church? Well, if you were uh, to look at verses 16 and 17, you would see the answer. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He says what he's already been saying and what we've already talked about that that a group of believers is the temple. Now, if you were to go back to the Old Testament and look at the temple, the temple was the place where God's presence was most uniquely shown in the world. In fact, it was, it was so powerful that most people, almost everybody, could not actually enter into the inner sanctuary of that temple because they would die in the presence of God. And so God ordained one person per year to be able to go into the presence of God in the, in the Holy of Holies, as it's called, in the inner sanctuary, because He was so strong there. Okay? And so Paul is looking at this church in Corinth and he is saying, You are a building not just any building, you are a representation of the temple because now you are the entity in which God's presence comes into the world. 
Now, it's easy to, to say, okay, Chad, we've heard that, but, but I really want to show you the emphasis that Paul places on it here. If I could just read it one more time. Uh, it says this, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Paul says this is such a big deal, the local church and its role in the world to, to bring the presence of God into our plan, onto our planet. He says it's such a big deal that God is willing to destroy people who are trying to destroy the church. I mean, notice the strength of that language. It's easy to read over it, but Paul is saying the local church is a really big deal. And God doesn't want anyone getting in the way of the local church and its job, which is to bring the presence of God to this earth. You see that? And so Paul emphasizes this. He says, look, you're not just a building, you're the building for God's presence. You are the temple, okay? And so notice what else he says there. If you were to go back to verse 11, he says that Jesus is the foundation of the church. Now, he isn't saying something new here because Jesus has already said this. Jesus says, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is a quote. In in ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone placed at the corner of the edifice. The corner was usually one of the largest, the most solid, and the most carefully constructed of any in the edifice or the building. In 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8, we see even more about this. Um, It says, As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. So notice what Peter says here. Peter says that Jesus is this chief cornerstone, that he is the the piece in which the whole building is built. And when we combine that with what Paul is saying, we see that, that Jesus is the foundational piece of the building that is church. It's kind of like this piece of plastic in Jenga. It's not a stone. I didn't build the game. But But this is what a cornerstone does. A cornerstone gets sat down so that everything that gets built up on it is orderly and even and it becomes what it needs to become for this game of Jenga to work. And so when, when the Bible tells us, when Paul tells us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, what he is saying is that Jesus is the piece, the foundation that, that makes everything about a church what it is supposed to be. You can look at a lot of churches out there in our current society that have totally disregarded this. They've made a lot of other things the foundation of their church. You know, whether it be good music, or whether it be the right programs, or whether it be a great speaking pastor. But but Paul says, hey, the foundation of a church, a real church, is Jesus. He is the one who needs to be set in place underneath everything else that is built up for a church to be what God desires it to be. Now, if you were to skip back to verse 10 there, Paul says, uh, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And Paul doesn't say, hey, I laid a new foundation. What he is saying is, 
I lay the foundation of Jesus. So here's Paul's story, if you, if you don't know it. Paul was a, a young man when we first read about him in the Bible, and he absolutely hated Christians. He, he loved what he thought was God, the God of the Jewish people, but he hated Christians because he thought they were going away from his God. He thought it was some cult. And so Paul takes very seriously ending this thing that was called Christianity in its very early stages. And the first time we read about him, he is the one who is holding the coats while people stone a guy named Stephen who was the first Christian martyr. The second time we read about him, Paul is asked for permission to travel around the area persecuting Christian people in order to stop this thing called Christianity. And then we read, as he is on his way to persecute Christians in Acts 9, 3-6, through 6, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Paul goes to the city and he's blinded by this light and, and God sends this man to him in order to tell Paul what he must do. And, and what he must do is this. He must go into the world and he must tell people about Jesus and start churches. And so when Paul says here that he's laid the foundation, the foundation that is Jesus, what he means is he has gone into the city of Corinth and he has said to the people there, hey, Jesus is the Messiah that was promised long ago. He died for the sins of the earth. He laid down his life for the sins of people, all of their wrongdoings. And then he rose again on the third day. You need to believe that in order to have eternal life. And so he came into the city of Corinth and he said that and the people started to believe which is one of the key foundations of church, right? A group of believers. And so people start to believe, and Paul starts to build this church. He turns them into a church. He was a church planter, to put it into a more modern context. And so when Paul says that he laid the foundation, what Paul is referring to is coming in saying, here is the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. And he starts to put people together in an organized fashion in order to start to build this thing that is called a church. He starts to bring people together in order that God's presence can be manifest into the world. Now notice what else Paul says here uh, in 1 Corinthians. He explains this really well to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, just in case you don't understand. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand on which the foundation has been laid. By this gospel you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so this is the foundation that Paul was laying for the people. Now if you go back to Ephesians 3, verse 10, it says this, and someone else is building on it. I already explained once, now this is Christian leaders who are building up this church. They are helping the church to become what God wants it to be. The foundation is laid and they're assembling and they're gathering and God's presence is showing up in these people's lives. But there are Christian leaders who are working to help this church more fully glorify God. In Ephesians we read about this, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 it really does provide some amazing insight to what this looks like. It says, So Christ Himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness. Paul is continuing this theme of being built up, one of his favorite themes throughout the book, talking about the church, which is a construction word. He's saying, look, you're being built up, you're being built up. And he, he gives these, these four roles here, and he says there's apostles and evangelists and teachers, and uh, we don't have time to go into those today and what each of those do and what they look like. That's a sermon that I would love to preach. But, but basically, I think what Paul is saying in those roles is, is the church is built up by these men because these men help Christians. Christians, believers, become more fully what God has asked them to be. These people help believers glorify God more in their individual lives by removing sin and and starting to do good things that God has called them to do. And also, they build up the church by, by bringing other people to salvation so that there are more people within the church who are believers. And so he looks at, at the church and he says, the church is, is also built up by Christian leaders who come along and, and strive and work to build up the church. And it, it's, all, it's all based on this foundation of Jesus and, and partly on the foundation that Paul has laid. But notice what else that he said there. He said that these Christian leaders, or it says in, in 4, 11 through 13, excuse me, are working so that people can use their gifts. Next week we will talk about this in full. That, that we need to, as a body of believers, be using our gifts. It's really interesting that the Bible is so clear on this. It, it doesn't say that, that there are just pastors and evangelists and teachers and those people need to serve the church and work to build it up. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, which we will look at next week, it says that every person in a church has been uniquely, uniquely equipped so that that church can, can be built up. It doesn't use the word built up, but it says for the good of that church, which I think is virtually synonymous. And so Paul says to, to the believers also, and, and we read it there in, in that Ephesians passage, that, that the work that you do by, by the gifts that you have been given through God are part of the building up process within a church. And so we see Paul continuing this theme of building up in a construction style through the gifts of the people who call themselves a church. At Creekside, that would be you who say, I go to Creekside Bible Church. I'm a part of Creekside Bible Church. The church is built up through you using your gifts. And so we definitely see that. But that's not it. That's not the only ways. Uh, we also saw last week, right, that Paul made clear to us that the church is built up when you come to a service with the goal of building the church up. Right? Paul made pretty clear to us that, that when we come and we're self-centered and, and we're working on having a spiritual experience or feeling fed and, and we leave church saying, wow, that wasn't a very good church service because I wasn't entertained by Chad's uh, message today. Or, or we say, you know, uh, that wasn't a very good church service because the music wasn't great. When we have that attitude, then, then, then we might build up ourselves. But Paul says that, that when we come to a church gathering, and we focus on other people. And we focus on using our gifts and encouraging and, and uplifting people. Then the church continues to be built up. You see that? It continues to grow and become all that God wants it. A more perfect picture of the temple in the Old Testament. A, a, more, uh, a more sophisticated building for the presence of God to come into the world. 
And so these are the things that Paul is saying. And, and now if you haven't already, I, I would ask you to flip over to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 or flip back to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 because this is the passage that I really wanted to get to today. Because Paul says something really, really important to us here. Paul, Paul says the most important thing in the whole book, in fact. And most people uh, seem to think that, that 1 Corinthians 1.10 is the thesis statement of the entire book. If you want to know what 1 Corinthians is about, the entire book, then you just read 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. And, and here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul says three really important things to us here. He uses these three phrases to to describe one thing, and that is that a church needs to be unified. And these three phrases are, are important, but today I just want to focus in on, on one of those phrases. Paul uses uh, the word schisma for divisions. And I just want you to just pay attention to the word division. It's a Greek word uh, where we get schism, and that's the Greek word. And it means this, that which is cloven or parted, a cleft, a division, or a rent. And one author describes it in this way as a crack. Paul looks at the people... And he says, hey, I don't want there to be any cracks. I don't want there to be any holes in the building that is your church, in the temple that is you as a group of believers who gather together in the presence of God. You may not see it if you're just kind of taking a cursory read, but but as you continue to move through 1 Corinthians, you really see that much of what he says throughout the book is based on this one idea. I don't want there to be holes. I don't want there to be divisions. I don't want there to be dissension between you. And so when Paul says to the people, hey, you need to stop having lawsuits against each other. It's not because Paul just doesn't want lawsuits between people. It's because he's saying, look, if you're suing each other, there's cracks in your building. There are holes in the structure that God is building you up to be. Paul says, hey, if you come to church and you are focused on yourself, then guess what? There's a hole. If you're focused on yourself, when you come to church, there's another hole. If you if you come to a church service saying what what can what can what can happen for me, then then we have a new hole. If if in fact we gather together but we are never using our spiritual gifts, then there's another hole. And and what Paul is saying to us, I think, as you look through First Corinthians, is if you start to create these holes, then the church cannot be built up in the way that a church should be built up. And so he makes this grand emphasis on one single fact, and that is, hey. Do not let there be divisions amongst you. Instead of holes, you need to be perfectly connected much better than this Jenga is right now. That is what Paul is saying to us. And so what I say to you is, if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, then we need to be a church that is not full of holes and cracks. It just doesn't work if we're going to be what God has called us to be. In fact, how many churches have we seen... Go just like that, because the holes continue to separate and separate them until no longer were they focused on the foundation and no longer was there any structure that allowed for them to be the conduit of God's presence to this world. So Paul is looking at us as a church. 
And, and I think what he's saying is, you must, you must, you must be connected if you are going to be what God wants you to be. And I am very proud of what we have done as a church in the last year. In the last year, I have seen massive changes in the connection within our congregation. A year ago, just about now, it was like we had three churches that might show up together on a Sunday morning. We had a high school group and we had a young adult group and then we had everybody else and uh, they kind of talked if they happened to be standing by the coffee together. But there was this massive division and, and I think, I really believe that that our church was not going the way that it should go and being built up into what it needed to be because we lacked connection. And so I'm very proud of, of where we've come in the last year and being connected. But I think, I think as we continue to try to build and become more and more what God wants us to be, then we need to be more and more connected. I still think that there are holes. I still think that there are cracks. And we need to take real steps in order to connect ourselves greater so that the foundation is strong and the building is strong and it can become something bigger and better all for the glory of Jesus. Say, well, well, how do we do that? And let me give you three ways. The first thing that you can do is that you can communicate with others in our congregation apart from the Sunday service. I mean, you look around at our world and most of the time disconnect happens not because people are mad at each other or angry with each other. Most of the time it happens because people are just going in different directions. Life is so fast and pulls us in so many different ways that it is really hard in our society to have a truly connected church. But here's the other thing about that, that fast high-tech society is it's also provided a lot of opportunities for us to be able to communicate with each other. Facebook describes their goal as making the world a more connected and open place. And so we have things like Facebook now and Twitter that allow for us, if we'll use them, I'm pushing Facebook in the middle of my sermon, they'll allow us to be more connected if we will take them serious. We have phones. We have Skype, we have MySpace still, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Haytel, we have text messaging, we have email. We have a million ways that we can get in contact with each other. But most of us, unless there's something important to talk about for the church, will only talk when we gather on a Sunday morning. And I think a huge step for our church in being truly connected and being really tight-knit, is that we need to make it a, an emphasis of who we are to reach out to other people and communicate with them aside from the Sunday gathering that we have here. And so that's one thing. The, the second thing I, I, I think is, is really just another form of communication, but, but in front of you in your seats, unless you're in the first row, we have provided for you connection cards. They're called connection cards for a reason. This church is, is centered in part around being connected. And we believe that if, if you will just write out one of those little postcards and, and put it into the offering basket and, and those will start flying around the male airwaves of, of our congregation, then our congregation will be more connected. That's why we're willing to pay postage for you because we think and believe that, that if we will send letters to each other, it will connect us. 
Yes, it's easy to send a Facebook message or, or it's easy to send an email and it's pretty simple to make a phone call. But the, the truth is everybody likes getting stuff in the mail, right? And you only get things in the mail generally from people who at least care about you a step up from somebody who will send you a Facebook message, right? And so I think a second great way for this church to become more connected is to say, okay, I'll just fill one of those out a week. I'll fill two of those out a week. I'll, I'll just make sure that other people in this church know that I care about them, that I recognize the ministry that they're doing, uh, that I am excited to be a part of the same church that they are a part of, and we'll start to see those holes go away. A third thing, and definitely not the last thing, but a third thing is, is simply this. Join a connect group. If you're not in a connect group, you knew it was coming. You knew I would say it, right? Uh, the connection that we've seen just in the last six months that has come through our connect groups is miraculous and it's awesome. And, and, and I've seen changes here on Sunday mornings because of those connect groups. You don't have to be in a connect group to be connected. But let me tell you this. Making the commitment to a connect group says, I am committed to being connected. And without that commitment, it's going to be tough for you to stay true to a commitment to be connected. It's going to be tough for you to continue to strive to be connected to your brothers and sisters that you call your church, that you call your Creekside family. It's going to be tough if you don't actually say, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to this. Our connect groups are all about connection. They are not a Bible study. They are not a, a time uh, of, of listening to a sermon. They are not just a fun time. They are all about connecting the people within our body because we believe that with those holes in our church, we will never be what God wants us to be. And so if you're not in a connect group, you need to be in a connect group. What Paul is saying to us is that cracks in our building will never allow us to grow and be a better church. We can work and work and work at adding programs and doing more of this and maybe doing less of that, but until we are connected and we remove the cracks, we will never be what God wants us to be. I've said to many people lately that, that I, I kind of just feel like the, our church was unhealthy. This is what I've described to people. And, and we're starting to see some healthiness kind of come into our church and and people and people expect well are you growing right no no because right now we're just we're just trying to become more healthy i mean we are re- rehabilitating and i've said that a lot to people as they've talked about how the church is going and and it's not said in a negative way i'm excited about the fact that we're healing and we're rehabilitating but but only now do i realize that that one of the biggest sicknesses that we had was the holes in our building the disconnect between the people who called themselves a part of Creekside Bible Church. And I really believe, I really, 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 really believe that if we are going to be what God wants us to be and what we want to be, then it's going to come through us making a concentrated effort, from you making a concentrated effort to be more connected to the other people at this church. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that this church will be more connected. I, I, Father, we are... We are believers. I mean, the people who truly make up this church. And sure, lots of people, God, come to church that aren't Christians. And lots of people call themselves a part of a church who aren't Christians, Lord. But the people who really, this church, are believers. We're all followers of you, God. And so I pray that in you, not in the things that we have in common, not in the, not in the amount that we like each other, but in you, Lord, 
we would be so tightly knit that the world would look at us and go, man, there is something different about that group of people because of their love for each other, their connection to each other. God, I ask that, that whenever we feel like being bringing in dissension into our church, whenever we feel like going in another direction, like taking a step away from our brothers and sisters, whenever we don't feel like connecting, God, I pray that you would bring us back to the fact, Lord, that you died for us and we are all followers of you, God, and we will, all who are believers, will spend eternity with you, God. I just ask, Lord, that, that we would be a church with less and less cracks, God. I also ask, Lord, that as we work, the believers in this congregation, to connect to one another, God, I ask, God, that, that you would add to our number. And, and, Lord, as we become healthier, God, I pray that you would use us in greater and greater ways as far as people coming to salvation and your world being changed, God, for your glory and your fame, Lord. Let us focus on doing things right, and we pray, God, that you would bless that and honor that and use us the way that we so passionately desire to be used. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we can be so fully connected in you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.